0: Let's open our Bibles tonight to Revelation chapter three. We'll be looking at verses seven through 13. The sixth church tonight is our study, the church at Philadelphia, as we begin our study in the book of Revelation. On the seven churches of Asia Minor, just uh, we did a little uh, title for each church, a little um, description. Ephesus was a church that was busy but cold. Smyrna was faithful in persecution. Pergamos was tolerant of sin, Thyatira was busy working but easily seduced, Sardis was on the verge of dying, and tonight Philadelphia, the two words that we'll pick for them are enduring and evangelizing. They were faithful as they stood for Christ, and they were uh, desiring to get the gospel out to others. They were obedient, faithful and obedient, enduring and evangelizing. Let's read verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name, and he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." We'll go through our normal outline as we do through the seven churches. The first is the assembly. We'll take a look at the, at the church that was there and, and the description of what uh, the surrounding circumstances were in the city of Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. The name Philadelphia is of Greek origin. It comes from two words, philos, which means to love, a brotherly love and affection, and then adelphos, which is brother. And so we have that. It was founded in 140 BC by Attalus II who was nicknamed Philadelphus because he loved his brother who succeeded him as king of Pergamos. Many of you have driven through the city of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania and you've driven the roads there and uh, you wonder how it got that name as as you go through the traffic there. But uh, uh, that was William Penn, who actually founded and named the city. Interestingly enough, he envisioned it as a place of religious liberty. And so he named it that. Well, this is the seventh and final use of the word brotherly love in the New Testament. It's only, it's here, only only in this place is it used as a noun. One of the seven usages is Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1: Let brotherly love continue. It's interesting. He doesn't say let it start. God is the one who develops that love for the brethren that we should have, but we're to let it continue. It's a normal response of, of one believer to another. Brotherly love should be the hallmark of every Christian. John wrote in John 13, 35, By this all men shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You look across Christianity today, and you wonder where the brotherly love is. Let it flow from you. Maybe you will be the start of a new movement where the the world can see the church and say, that's a place where they love each other. The location of Philadelphia was on 28 miles southeast of Stardust. That was the last church we looked at. It was located in a fertile valley about 900 feet up up to a plateau that was about 2,500 feet. The area was rich in agriculture. The, the, the soil was volcanic, and it was very good, especially in, in vineyards, uh, and growing grapes. Consequently, the people there grew a lot of grapes, they made a lot of wine, and they worshipped Dionysius, the goddess, or the god of wine. Throughout history, there's been a strong remnant of believers in the city, even under Turkish rule. Most of them fled to Greece during World War I. Today... Uh, the, the city is called Al-Shahir. Uh, it's uh, prone uh, an area that's prone to earthquakes. The city has been leveled by earthquakes several times in history. They've had 18 earthquakes in Al-Shahir in the last 365 days. That is our current calendar. The 7.8 magnitude quake that was in the news on February 6th was in south-central Turkey, just above the Syrian border. Sardis in Philadelphia, if you remember, Sardis was destroyed in 17 AD by an earthquake. Philadelphia also was. Pliny the Elder called that quake the greatest earthquake in human memory. It essentially destroyed all the cities in Asia Minor, the area now known as Western Turkey. The church was faithful. The Church of Philadelphia was characterized by Faithfulness. They were faithful in their beliefs. They were faithful in their actions. As they remained steadfast and endured, God opened doors of opportunity for them to share their faith. And that's why we have that label on the church enduring and evangelizing. Both are vital, both are necessary in a healthy church, they're necessary in a healthy life. You need to be enduring in your Christian walk, you need to stand firm. And you also need to be evangelizing. You need to look for open doors that God has in your life where you can share the gospel. We come now to the second point, the appearance of Christ. And he appears to every church to meet the exact needs that they have. Verse 7, the second half of the verse, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Notice first of all, Christ appears as one who is holy. The one who is totally separate from sin. He is absolutely pure. He is absolutely perfect in his character. Who he is. He's absolutely holy in his conduct, what he does. And he appears to this church as the holy one. He wants his church to be holy. When he saved you, he sanctified you, he cleansed you from all your sins, he took them all away. That's what is called positional sanctification. You can't just turn over a new leaf. When you were saved, God imputed Christ's righteousness to your account. What a wonderful thing to consider the sanctification, the cleansing we have because of Christ. The one who is holy has made us holy. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 says that we're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And in verse 14, it says, by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You are cleansed. You are holy in God's sight. Now he wants you to live In practical holiness, that's positional holiness, positional sanctification. Now he wants us to live practically. That is every day that we, we reflect that holiness through the things that we do and through the words that we say. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 7 is one of the three times in scripture where we're told to be holy. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy for I am the Lord your God. 1 Peter 1.15, the second. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, in all of your life. 1 Peter 1.16, the very next verse, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Stand firm. Don't change your doctrinal beliefs. Keep living holy lives. He is also true. The church in Philadelphia Some there were calling themselves Jews, but they weren't really Jews. Uh, They were Israelites by birth, but not the new birth. They were unbelieving Jews. And so Jesus was talking about true faith. In Revelation 3.9, he says that they lie, these who said they were Jews and are not. Again, they they were religious, but lost. There are a lot of lies being told today. Some lies are told by well-meaning pastors. They want to tell what people want to hear. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3 that the people would not endure sound doctrine toward the end times. He said they would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. It's not the teachers who have itching ears. It's the people in church. They want their ears tickled. And some pastors will tell lies just so that they'll be happy. I hear lies from politicians. Don't you wish, when a person lied, their nose would grow like Pinocchio's? Much easier to know who to vote for, who's being truthful. I hear lies from people who are supposed to be educators. I'm so glad that we can come to the Word of God and find out what is true. You can trust Him. Titus 1:2 says that God cannot lie. You can be certain someday, everything that everyone has ever said will be brought to the test. Every lie will be exposed. Romans 2.16 says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So Jesus appeared to to the church in Philadelphia as the one who is holy, as the one who is true, The third thing he reveals himself as, he is authoritative. We see that in that phrase, he has the key of David. Keys, I'm told, were worn on the shoulders in biblical times. They indicated that that person had a right to open a door. In Isaiah 22 and verse 22, we have a reference to Eliakim. Eliakim in this verse is an anti-type, that is a type that preceded the true type. And I read, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And today Jesus Christ is the one who sits on the throne of David. He has the key of David. He's the one who opens doors and shuts them. In Luke chapter one, verse 31, remember the angel told Mary, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. God was opening this door for the church in Philadelphia. Behold, verse 8, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. I'm so grateful that when God opens doors, we can go through them. No one will stand in his way of an open door. That gives us great confidence in his will. God often shows us his will through open and closed doors. Maybe some of you can remember asking that girl to marry you. That first one, you thought she was the most beautiful girl in all the world, and she said no. And you said, I thought this was going to, you know, this was going to work out, but the door was closed. And a lot of times they'll say, well, it's not God's will for us. And, and that's tough to take. But God opens doors. And he shows us his will through opened and closed doors. He, that gives us confidence also in his work. Some, someone might say, you can't go to that place and witness for Christ. That's a closed country. That's a closed door. Well, you can if God opens the door. And we've seen it time and time again. God opens doors in your own life. Because of his authority, we must learn to depend on the one who has the keys of David. He'll open the doors for us. He's still holy, as he revealed himself to the church at Philadelphia. He's still true. He still has the authority to do whatever he pleases. Third point is his approval. How does he approve of what this church is doing It's a familiar phrase now, in verse 8 we read, I know thy works. He said it of of all the churches so far. There's in verse 8 a commendation. Verse 9 a justification, verse 10 a promise. The commendation, they were commended for their strength, thou hast a little strength. Now if somebody told me that, I would be offended. I I want them to see that I have a lot of strength. Well, don't despise this word little. You go through the Bible and find out how many times God used little things. Zacchaeus was a little man, but in God's sight, he was great. He made the right choices. The disciples are referred to as a little flock in Luke 12:32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Perhaps this church was few in number, but like Gideon's faithful few, God can do great things. Don't measure the success of a ministry by its size. Little is much when God is in it. Don't measure, don't limit your life. If you have a little strength, God gave it to you, that's enough. Maybe they were not strong physically, but there was some strength. And with every ounce of strength that God gives you, we have enough to be obedient to serve him. Don't think because you're not able to do what you once did, that you're limited in any way to accomplish what God wants you to do in your life. God which worketh in you, Philippians 2.13, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God can do great things when you place your little strength in his hands. They were commended because of their obedience. In the next section in verse eight, thou hast kept my word. They kept God's word in their minds. They were reading it. They were hearing it preached. They were, there is a listening today that doesn't hear. They kept it in their hearts by faith, believing this message to be the very word of God. There's acknowledging today that doesn't really believe. They kept it in their lives by application. They obeyed the word. There's a Christianity today that has no power. These were church members in Philadelphia who were genuine. They kept his word. We need to keep his word the same way. Read it. Believe it. Obey it. They were commended for their loyalty. That was not denied my name, verse 8. It's possible to deny Christ in many different ways. Some deny him in word. Peter said it out loud. I never knew him. Can you imagine? This disciple... Who followed Christ, denying him. I never knew him. Some people deny him by not saying anything. Everybody at work thinks, uh, Are they a Christian or not? You've never said anything about the Lord. Have the opportunity. When you have the opportunity, speak up. Some deny him in action. Do the things that you do prove your faith? James says, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Some deny him in their heart. Thomas said, unless I see his hands inside, I will not believe. These believers in Philadelphia did not deny Christ. They remained loyal to him, no matter what happened. What a great word of approval that Jesus gave this church. I would have liked to have been there. Out of all the churches that we've looked at, I'd want to be a member of the church at Philadelphia. They had a little strength. For what little they had, they used it for Christ. They kept his word. They didn't deny his name. And Jesus approved them with this commendation. Now he'll justify them by defending them. That's in verse 9, the justification. In fact, he says those who are lying about their relationship with Christ will one day submit and prove that God is the one who loved this true church. Behold, verse 9, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. They were, these people, racially, culturally, ceremonially Jews, but religiously, as I said, they were lost. And they they opposed the Christian church. Jesus said that they were of the synagogue. That's a Jewish term where the Jews would meet, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. How then would this church be justified in Philadelphia? When would the truth come to light? Jesus said, I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and know that I have loved thee. Bowing at the feet of these believers would show a submission. They would be doing this outward sign acknowledging that they had been wrong, and the Christians in Philadelphia were true believers. Then they'd realize that God loved the saints of Philadelphia. There's a promise in verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. They kept the word of his patience. That is, they kept God's word about being patient. And enduring to the end they weren't like the scoffers who said in 2nd Peter chapter 3 where is the promise of his coming they were patient they were looking for Jesus coming this isn't just a promise for Philadelphia as we come and read this verse it's a promise to us too for all believers verse 10 is a key verse in our understanding of the seven-year tribulation period in the end times the tribulation here, the hour of temptation, or testing, is universal. Notice what it says. Which shall come upon all the earth. This tribulation, not just one area, one local place that's going, undergoing some difficult times. This will be worldwide. It's not, it is limited to a time. Notice it's called the hour of temptation. There will be a time limit seven years it will come to an end and notice keeping them from the hour of trial that means not allowing them to go through that tribulation in first John 1715 Jesus prayed that God would completely keep his disciples from the evil one that was the prayer the high priestly prayer of Jesus and the same words are used here keep them completely away from something That his believers won't be here during the tribulation time. This is where we usually have point number four. That's an admonition. But there are two churches that were not admonished. Philadelphia is one of them. Smyrna was the other. There are only two churches that weren't corrected. So we'll move right to the appeal. Verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. The appeal is to hold fast. Hold securely what you have. Don't surrender any ground. Guard the truth that's been given to you. The motivation behind that appeal, why? Because Christ is coming. Three times in the Bible we read this phrase, Behold, I come quickly. Here in Revelation 3.11, Hold fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. We see it again twice in Revelation 22, once in verse 7 and once in verse 12, where he says again, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Revelation 22:12. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work, what his work shall be. When you know that there is an end in sight, when you know that Jesus indeed is coming, you can hold on just a little bit longer. In 1952, Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean just off Catalina Island. She was dis- determined to swim to the, to, to the mainland, to California, and she would already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. Now, the English Channel... It's 21 miles across. It took her 16 hours. The, in, from Catalina to, to California, it's only 12, a little over 12 miles. And so she should be able to do this. The weather was foggy. It was chilly. And she could hardly see the boats that were crossing with her. She swam for 15 hours. And then she begged to be taken out of the water. Her mother was in a boat alongside, and she told her, you're close, you can make it. Finally, physically, emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming, and they pulled her out. It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than half a mile away. At the news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Christian, Don't grow weary in well-doing. The misty fog of life may hide heaven's shore, but it's there. Behold, I come quickly. He's coming again. Do you believe it? (laughs) Believing that truth will help you live a life that pleases God. 2 Peter 3.11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Believing that truth will help you hold fast to what you have. Don't stop believing in and living for Jesus Christ. He's coming again. We come to the warning in the appeal. Hold fast that you have so that no man take thy crown. crown of life is given to all who persevere, James 1.12. Blessed is the man who endureth temptation... For when he is tried, he shall shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And we know that no Christian can lose his salvation. So the warning here is for you to hold fast, to keep on doing the things that God has given you to do. He's not going to lose his grip on you. He's not going to lose you, and, and you thereby lose your salvation. Your soul is secure. But I've seen many lose their hold on their faithfulness to him. Why else would would he say, hold fast which thou hast? It's because people let go. They stop believing the Bible. They stop going to church. They stop doing the things that they know they ought to be doing. Hold fast which thou hast. The reward in in the appeal is in verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. It's a promise given to those who are saved. They're called overcomers here. It's a promise of security. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. City of Philadelphia, like all the cities in Asia Minor that we've looked at so far, had temples to their gods. And in those temples, there were pillars carved to honor the deities. Those pillars crumbled in the earthquakes of Asia Minor. God's temple will last forever. You're a pillar in that temple. Christians are pillars in God's temple. They're engraved with God's name and the name of God's city and a new name. Did you notice that as we read that verse? There is a name written by God upon us a permanent mark of ownership. Our citizenship is written upon us. It shows where we live. Many people here wear sweatshirts or t-shirts that show where they're from. They're from Michigan. Those in the, in the upper peninsula will, will just wear that, that one part of the peninsula, the other peninsula. We've, we forgot they were up there. But they're proud of where they are. You know what? When we we, ought, we are, as overcomers, we ought to be wearing T-shirts that say New Jerusalem. That's going to be our home. That's the name that he's given to us. The city of my God. The city that defend, descends down from heaven. God will write on us the city of, his, of, of uh, the New Jerusalem. Also, God will write upon us his new name. He closes the letter to Philadelphia as he has with all the others in verse 13. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As I said before, there's a hearing, there's a listening that doesn't hear. And God wants us to listen to the message of these churches, make the application in our lives. The Church of Philadelphia was a church that endured. They were faithful, they were obedient, they were loyal, and God gave them open doors message to us today is to be faithful. Hold securely on the things that God has given you. He's coming again. Don't quit now. Don't let things slide in your spiritual walk with the Lord. There are souls that still need to hear the gospel. There are people who need to see your faithful witness. There's a heaven ahead. May the Lord help us to keep enduring in evangelizing until he comes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage of scripture, this message to the church at Philadelphia. And I pray that as we go from this place tonight, after hearing these verses, we will again commit ourselves to holding fast the things that you have given us. I pray that we won't let them slip. I pray that we'll be faithful to you, that we would endure to the end, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.